Uh, I'm going to share the reading um, for you from Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 1 and then verses 11 onwards. Uh, Because there were sinners, all these sinners and tax collectors that were gathering around Jesus. And, And then there were these Pharisees and religious leaders that were grumbling to themselves. And they said, who is this Jesus who welcomes tax collectors and sinners and even eats with them? And so he told them this story. He said, There was a man who had two sons, and the youngest son came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And so the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son came to his father, uh, sorry, he gathered everything that he had, and he he went off to a distant country, and, and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. But there became a famine, a severe famine across the entire land. And and he began to be in need. So uh, he hired himself out to a citizen of that country and he sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. When he came to his senses, he, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have food enough to spare and yet here I am starving to death? I will get up and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran out to meet him and threw his arms around him and covered him with kisses. The younger son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's celebrate because this son of mine was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older brother was out in the field and he heard the sound of singing and dancing and so he asked his servant what was going on. The servant said, your brother has come back and so your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so the father came out and pleaded with him to come in. But he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. And you've never given me so much as even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And yet this son of yours squanders your property on prostitutes. And you kill the fattened calf for him? The father said, my son. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. For this son of, this brother of yours was lost and is found again. He was dead and is alive again. For the gospel of the Lord. 
Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. The story can be found uh, in Luke 15. You can uh, check along now to make sure the preacher's not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Um, Now, currently my clicker's not working, so I might need you to just press one and then it might uh, activate. Thank you very much. Uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this story, and it's typically called the parable of the lost son, uh, which is a big mistake, because how many sons are there in the story? There's two sons in the story, and both of them are lost. Uh, Did you notice at the start of the story, before he tells it, it's in verse 11, it says that there's two groups of people that Jesus was talking to. On the one hand, there's sinners and tax collectors, and on the other hand, there's religious leaders and, and Pharisees. And these guys are grumbling because Jesus is welcoming the sinners and tax collectors. And so these two sons in the story actually represent the two groups that Jesus is talking to. So the younger brother represents the sinners and tax collectors and the older brother represents these Pharisees uh, and religious leaders who are grumbling. And by the time we get to the end of the story, which one of the two is lost? The older brother is lost and the younger brother is found. And so it should be called the parable of of the two lost sons, because they're both lost. But for some reason, we always focus on the younger son, missing the fact that the older son is lost too. In fact, even more important to realize is that the context is the the religious people grumbling. Jesus tells three stories. I skipped the first two. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, where the, sh- the shepherd comes home rejoicing. There's a party, there's rejoicing. Then the parable of the lost coins, where the woman finds her coins, and it ends with rejoicing. And then there's this parable of the, the sons, where the father comes home and is rejoicing. Surely that's the logical place to finish. Each story ends with rejoicing. No, he's added on an extra bit at the end with a grumbling older brother while he's speaking to grumbling Pharisees and religious leaders. So even the context shows that the focus is actually in some ways on the older brother and the punch in the face, the, 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 the reversal, the surprise in the story is, is the ending with the older brother. And here's the thing, we we often make the mistake of thinking, and we'd never put it this way, and it's a crass way of putting putting it, that that there's only two ways to live. Like, you can be a good Christian and behave yourself, or you can be a nasty non-Christian and and misbehave. And, and of course, um, we'd never put it that way, and it's completely wrong, because there's not two ways to live. What I want to show you this morning is that there's actually three ways to live. There's three ways to live. There's actually two different ways of avoiding God, but they're doing it in completely different ways. Both sons are avoiding the father, but they're doing it in completely different ways. And so let me show you the first way to live. The first way is irreligion. It means completely ignoring God, following your heart, be yourself, be true to yourself, do whatever you want. Sounds familiar, right? Western cultures, Australia, irreligion. Not Asia, not Africa, not the Middle East, USA, England, Australia, the West is the way of irreligion. 
The way to the good life, the way to the happy life is to throw off all the shackles, follow your heart, express yourself and do whatever you want. That's the way of your religion. Then there's the way of religion, much more popular in Africa, Asia and the Middle East. And this means obeying God so that you can get the good stuff. Now, I know that, that that's, un, that's unfair to some hearts, but this is what we see in the older brother. It's like treating God like a vending machine. If you put in the right behaviour, he'll put out the lollies and the chips. Uh, you don't really want to have anything to do with God. You, have, you, want to, you want to have as much to do with God as you want to have to do with a vending machine. Uh, no, you put in the goodies so that you can get out the lollies uh, and the chips, which is, which is the way of religion. This is what we see in the older brother. But the father shows a different way, a third way. And that's the way of the gospel. So let me give you a a catchphrase for each of these three ways. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I, I, I give my obedience and in return I get my acceptance or my blessing. Irreligion says, I don't really have to obey anyone but me. I follow my own heart. That's the way to the good life. Go have a wild party. Do it your own way. The gospel says I'm accepted by God, therefore I obey. And I want to show you these three ways in this story that Jesus told. So let's go through the story. It starts out, it starts out with this uh, younger brother. And he asks for his share of the inheritance and then he takes it away to a distant country. Wild parties, prostitutes, food, clothing. He rejects the father and goes his own way. But the older brother stays home and works with dad. It looks good. So it's really easy for us to see that the, young, the, the younger son is lost, right? We look at that and go, yep, there's that's lost, disobeying dad, disgracing the family, parties and prostitutes, that's sin. We know, we know that when we see it. But here's the thing that you need to see in the story. And the thing you need to see is that the older bro- brother's relationship with dad is just as bad. The older son's relationship with dad is just as bad. Because how does he speak to his father? It was a shame for him to even have to come out of the party to speak to get his son to join the party in the first place. Absolute shame in that culture that he should have to come out and convince his son to join the party. Terrible shame in that culture. Much worse when, when the older son responds. He chastises his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Can you see that the older son's relationship with dad is just as bad? And how does he feel about the fact that dad's throwing a party? Does he like, yeah, sure, dad, let's have a party? No, he's furious. Well, back when this story was told, actually, I do a little bit of a survey. Can you put up your hand if you're the oldest male child in your, in your family? And I'm not, I'm not going to pick on you. Um, mm. We've got lots. Well, well, you guys in this culture have struck gold because you guys will get a double share of the inheritance, uh, your, your parents' inheritance. So if there's two sons, um, the, the older son, you guys would get two-thirds and then, and then the, young, the other uh, brother would get uh, one-third and ladies, you would get zip in that culture, I'm sorry to say. Um, uh, but, um, but that was the situation, right? So in this story, uh, the older brother would get two-thirds 
and the younger brother would get one third. Now, what did the younger son do with his third? He squandered every last cent on wild living. So here's a question. How's dad going to pay for this massive, extravagant party back home? The fattened calf could be worth one or two years' wages. How's he going to pay? Out of the older brother's inheritance. How does the older brother feel about that? He's furious. And friends, here's where I want you to start to see that the older brother is much like the younger brother. When the younger brother took all the money and ran, he showed that he didn't want the father, he just wanted the father's stuff. But when the older brother became angry and furious about this party that dad was throwing, he showed that he didn't want the father, he completely shamed and dishonoured and disrespected him, he wanted the father's stuff. What does he say? He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Why? And you've never given me so much as even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Why have I been slaving for you? Not because I love you, not because I want a relationship with you, because I want your stuff. They both want the same thing. Do do you see? These are two completely different ways of getting exactly the same thing. The younger brother tries to get dad's stuff by rejecting dad and rejecting all of the rules. The older brother tries to get dad's stuff by obeying dad and obeying all the rules. But neither of them actually want dad. They want his stuff. But they don't want a relationship with dad. They just want his stuff. So one of them is spiritually lost while they're a long way from home and the other one is spiritually lost when he stays at home. But in the end, both of them are lost. One son thought the way to the good life, the really good life, is by rejecting authority and following my heart and going my own way and being, being really, really bad. And the other one thought the way to the good life is by staying home, being really, really good and obey the rules. That's the way to the good life. But both of them are lost because both of them reject the father. And here's the thing. In the end, it's easier for the younger son to see that he's lost because he's a long way away from home, covered in pig poo, but it's nearly impossible, nearly impossible for the older son to see that he's lost because he's never left. He's at home. He's never left home. Isn't that a warning for those of us who have never left church? Isn't that a warning for us who always stayed home, just as lost, but blind to it? But there's a third way. There's a third way in the story. And it comes when we look at the Father. I want to show three things that show us the way of the gospel. Firstly, we need to see the Father reach out to us. Do you notice in the story that the younger son is not the only one who needs the Father to come out from home and reach out to him and bring him in? Did you notice that he needs to do it with the older son as well? They're both out in the dark and they both need the father to come out and to bring them in. 
And when the father says, this son of mine was lost and now he's found, he was dead and now he's alive, he's getting at a very important spiritual truth. Because if you're lost, you need someone else to reach out to you, for you to be found. And if you're dead, you need someone else to bring you back to life. We need the father to reach out to us. And the point of the story is that both sons are lost and they both need the father to come out, to reach out to them and to bring them into his party, to bring them into his celebration, to bring them into his joy. Both of them are dead to the father because they don't want that. They just want his stuff. But the third way starts when we realise we can't get back in by ourselves. We need the father to come out to us and to bring us back in. Here's the other thing we need to see in the way of the gospel. So we need to be sorry not just for our bad things, but also for the reason we do our good things. Religious people are always sad for their sin. They're always sad for their bad things. They're always bad. But you know why often most of the time it is? It's because of their wounded pride. Because they've let themselves down. Because they can't come to terms with the fact that they're that bad. It's pride. They're sad because of their pride. And they haven't been able to humble themselves. Like Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And so God's grace is never amazing to them because they don't need it. They've never joined the party. Do you see the reason why he says he, he won't join the party? He, the father comes out, pleaded with him to come in. Why doesn't he come in? He says, look, I've never disobeyed your orders. That's why I won't come in. Because of my righteousness. Well, that's a religious form of repentance, of sadness. But we go deeper. We're sorry not just for our bad things, but for the reason we do our good things. Do you ever do the right thing for the wrong reason, like doing someone a favour or showing them kindness uh, so that they can think well of you? Um, I, I have confession. I'm meeting a guy this Friday, and, and he's a bit of a player. I wasn't going to share. The mover and a shaker, influential guy. And, um, and I deliberately um, said... Uh, why don't we meet in my study? And the reason I realised I did that is because I want him to see my amazing library and how amazingly smart I am. And then he'll think well of me and then I'll be able to do cool ministry with him because he, he, I want something from him. I, I want him to give me the opportunity to preach and I want him to see my amazing library. Do you, do you ever do the right thing? That's not, probably not even the right thing. For the wrong reason? Do, do you ever treat God like a vending machine? Like I'm doing this, God, so that, you know, got a big thing coming up next week. Hope, you know, can I? Just treating him like a He's not a vending machine. He's a loving father who wants a living relationship with us. He wants to be integrated into all of our lives, not just a vending machine for when we need him. A genie in a bottle, a waiter waiting on us to call on when we want him. 
This is why we don't just repent of our bad things. We repent of the reason we do our good things for the bad reasons when there are bad reasons there. Let me give you an illustration. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and and discerned the man's heart. So as the gardener turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and and delighted and, and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman in the court of the king who overheard all this. And he said to himself, my goodness, if that's what you can get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion and he bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the course and merely dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. The nobleman was treating the king like a vending machine. Put in the goodies, and you get the goodies out. And so as Christians, we don't just say sorry for the bad things, but we say we're sorry for the bad reasons behind the good things because he sees our hearts. Finally, the way of the gospel. We need to see what it costs God to bring us home. Most importantly, When the younger son came home, the father ran out, embraced him, covered him with kisses, totally unheard of in that culture, public displays of affection in a Middle Eastern culture where they're respected dignitaries, patriarchs of the family. He brings the best robe, puts it on him, ring on his finger, kills the fattened calf worth a year or two's wages, a great feast, this amazing party, completely free for this younger son who'd just done the worst in the world you could imagine. He, 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 he deserved the complete opposite. And it was completely free. But not for the family. That was the elder brother's money that was being spent to throw this party. Now, a good elder brother would have been delighted to have his brother back. He would have been relieved to have his brother back and happy to spend the inheritance because he was back safe and sound. He, he would have said, Dad, my younger brother has gone missing. I will go and find him and I will put my ring on him. I will put my robe on him and I'll sacrifice everything until I find him and bring him back home. But unfortunately, the younger brother didn't have that kind of older brother. But friends, here's the thing. 
We do. We do. Jesus is our true elder brother. And when he was hung up on that cross, he was stripped naked of all of his clothes so that we could be clothed in his perfect robes of righteousness, completely free for us, a holy wardrobe that'll enable us to enter the glorious party of eternity because he was stripped naked and laid bare on the cross in our place, our true elder brother who loves us that much so that we can be clothed in his perfect righteousness. And he was cast out of the family for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could be brought into the loving embrace of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the eternal infinite party of God at the expense of him being cast out of the family on the cross. And he came all the way from heaven to earth to search us out, our true elder brother, and find us and to bring us home for eternity. And he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we could be welcomed into the Father's embrace. Friends, until we see the cost of, to the Father and to the Son, we'll remain younger brothers or older brothers. But as long as we're moved by the cost, we'll see the way of the gospel. And so as we wrap up, let me ask you, which one are you more like? Are you more like the younger brother? You think the party's over there, away from God? Are you more like the older brother, treating God like a vending machine, being good so you can get the goodies? Or are you being transformed more and more into the likeness of your true elder brother, who gave it all so that you could be brought in to the family. And so friends, if there ever was a message that I would hope that you would chew on for the rest of your lives and to dig into, it's this one. And so up the back, I've got a printout for you. I hope there's enough for one for every household that describes the difference between the gospel and religion. It's deeply profound. I've been meditating on this for at least five years and feel like I've barely scratched the surface. And so if you want to follow my lead, you can put it up in your toilet to meditate on uh, whenever you need to. Uh, the other thing I would encourage you uh, to think about, it's a deeply important book. I stole everything that I said today from this book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, Recovering the Heart of the Christian faith. I commend this gospel to you in Jesus' name. Amen.